Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. Welcome back to the Tube Talk podcast. My name is Dan Carson, joined as always by Mr. Rob Wilson. Hello, Mr. Dan. How are you today? I am doing fabulous. How are you? I am doing radiant. Thank you very much for asking. I don't know if radiant is radiant a relevant term for how someone's doing. Yeah, it, it is. I, I think um, you can describe somebody as radiant, and that means sending out light. They're shining. They're glowing. They have a, a bright personality, and that's how I feel today. Not that anyone can see that I'm radiant, but hopefully you can feel the radiance in the cadence of my voice. Uh, and it's upbeat, and I'm motivating you. So I hope you're all radiant after listening to this very fine podcast, which you host expertly and excellently every single week, Dan. You see, that's my radiance <laughs> right now. Thank you. I, I think something's up. Probably after we're done recording, you're going to ask something of me, and uh, I'll, I'll be forced to say yes. We'll see. Uh, so, we'll see. I, yeah, I guess we'll see. We have uh, quite the show for you today. No guest, but uh, we wanted to cover a, a topic that we feel is one we don't talk about a whole lot. We talk about channels quite a bit, but we don't talk about the content within the channels. And so we're going to be diving into some discussions around that. But first, we have a couple things to get to. Uh, we did get a new review that we wanted to read out oh, to yeah, everybody. We, did. Uh, we love it when you guys send us reviews. This one is from Apple Podcast. It's uh, David. And they their review is titled, Creators Must Subscribe. Tube Talk is an essential subscription for any video creators. I've gone and binge listened to the vast majority of episodes, and everyone has those moments where you think, I really got to remember that. Even if it's an episode about a subject that's been, quote, already covered, each one covers it differently from a different perspective and gives different insights. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, David. This makes me think, Dan, that you need to insert a jingle at some point that says... <laughs> This section you need to remember or similar for future podcasts. Yeah, we can't we can't really use the more you know, but maybe something similar. Yeah. Yeah. You know, things to remember. But thank you, David. Thank you for the awesome review and the five stars. Uh, and we will continue to read out these reviews as well as any emails that you send us and any hashtag tube talk mentions that you send to us on Twitter, which aren't about the other person who's trying to uh, steal our hashtag with news about racing events. <laughs> I'm sure it's a fine show. Uh, but yes, hashtag tube talk on Twitter. Of course, tube talk at vidIQ.com. If you'd like to send us an email, give us some feedback, let us know how we're doing. Always appreciate it. So, Rob, uh, YouTube news wise, we got the biggest update I think YouTube has ever released, the best one, I should say. And that is Studio. YouTube Studio is now in dark mode. And my eyes can see once again. Well, I, I think this is a very subjective opinion. I it's the best update. Could not care less about dark mode on desktop. Uh, so we open up this question to all of you listeners in this very passive podcast experience for you to respond. I want you to shout out loud now, wherever you are, whether you're driving, you're cycling, you're doing the shopping, just shout out either light mode or dark mode, because we want the answer to our question right now. But you are right, Dan. YouTube is now fully dark mode compatible on your desktop experience. And so if you do need to give your eyes a rest, I just generally find uh, dark mode on desktop, it, the colors seem to really not work for my viewing experience. But that's my personal opinion. We, we actually have this 
kind of debate and argument a little bit when we're doing the Tuesday channel audit live streams mm. where I operate on light theme, but I have to remember to switch it to dark theme. And you know, it really makes an impact on me when I'm looking at the thumbnails because I think thumbnails look completely different in dark mode. But of course, that side of YouTube dark mode has been there for years. But on the studio side now, you just click on the profile image in the top right hand corner and you should now see, I think, is um, appearance theme setting and you can just change it from light to dark but you're a big fan of dark mode then are you have you fully transitioned and you're sticking with it uh yes i've been i've been very frustrated because we've had like dark mode on the studio app on mobile i will admit that on um, a mobile app dark mode is brilliant so yeah i guess i'm kind of contradicting myself there but i do have it in dark mode on mobile i guess just for the experience yeah, I like it a lot. I think more websites should be in dark mode. I wish I could do more with text documents in dark mode when I'm when I'm in like Google Docs, for example. I think there might be right. like an extension or something I could get for that. But anyway, I, I prefer dark mode. I don't need everybody in, in the neighborhood to know that at 10 o'clock at night, I'm sitting in my office looking at YouTube analytics, uh, <laughs> you know, so so it's, it is nice. And yeah, I, I think because my eyes are kind of sensitive to like really bright, you know, screens because I'm sitting at my desk all the time. So yes, it is definitely I've noticed a difference it's a lot easier for me to read it now, and I appreciate it. I, I'm glad they kind of teased it. A bunch of people noticed that the they option did, yeah. popped up, like, "Oh, we have dark mode in studio now," and it wasn't there. And then they they said, "No, we don't." Just kidding. It's funny you say that because for a couple of weeks I was going into the purge source and trying to find the the whatever label um, would trigger light or dark mode because I was thinking if I'm able to work out how to manually switch it to dark mode I can make a video here and I can get hundreds of thousands of views you know like, like a simple hack but uh, yeah. I wasn't able, able to find it and I did do a vote on the vidIQ community tab asking do you prefer light theme or dark theme and I am in the minority. Only 20% of people prefer the light theme. So 80% of people have now been thoroughly satisfied with a new dark theme in the YouTube studio. It is, yeah, my favorite YouTube update probably in the last 10 years. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but but last, last week or so, for sure. Right. But there, week. <laughs> there's definitely another update that you were telling me about. That I Because dark mode consumed all of my attention. What, what's this other update going on? So I haven't seen this myself yet, but I'm going to keep a closer attention to this. And it is something that is, has been not ridiculed, not used very well. YouTube doesn't really know how to implement it. Hashtags. And... I think YouTuber continuing to try and make hashtags a thing on the platform, especially now with YouTube shorts and people following different trends and whatnot on there. So what's going to happen now, I think at least on mobile, as I'm looking at the screenshot here, is that if you're writing out a title and then you start with a hashtag and then maybe put in A or B or write out a word, YouTube is going to auto-suggest different hashtags that you might want to use. So an example here, the title is me trying the hashtag A, and then the suggestions are acting challenge, ASMR, angel, angel squad, and art. And underneath each of these suggestions is a bit of data behind it. So for example, ASMR, as a hashtag, it's saying that 84,000 videos use that hashtag from 10,000 channels. Now, over what time period that is, I've never been sure. This is attached to something that we talked about before, which is pivot pages, where if you do a search on YouTube 
for, with a hashtag, it will take you to that landing or pivot page, which gives you details about, you know, how many videos and channels there are using that hashtag. So I think it's maybe over the last 30 days that there have been 85,000 videos and 10,000 channels. I could be wrong, though. I'll probably need to check the support pages here. But nevertheless, I think YouTube is now trying to encourage people to use hashtags more and more. And I think that's going to be especially useful for YouTube shorts. Longs, I'm not quite so sure. This is just like if you were to open Instagram and on your phone and try exactly. and make a post. Same thing. As soon as you hit the hashtag and start typing letters, it starts to predict what you might be putting and then gives you some stats. It's the same exact looking function. And it's very interesting. It it makes me wonder what the future holds for for titles because I I'm very hesitant to put hashtags in my titles. Yeah, yeah I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, if YouTube is trying to encourage this and yes, alongside pivot pages, uh, you know, it might be some signals. We might need to look into that a little bit more. It's, it's pretty interesting. Certainly when you're going through YouTube shorts and you see a title, you can tap on that hashtag and then it takes you to tons of videos using that hashtag. So it's m much easier to navigate when you're watching YouTube shorts. But again, with YouTube longs, it's kind of just as a tiny blue word at the top of a screen, you may be looking at comments and, and whatnot. Uh, so I, I think this is definitely a shorts play, but mm -hmm. we'll have to wait and see and if people be able to use this effectively. You know, when I, I judge whether or not a tool is going to be really interesting as to impact a lot of creators, if I decide whether to make a video on it, and I don't think this is enough to persuade me to make a video on it, so I don't consider it that important yet. Um, whereas Super Thanks, that was something that did persuade me to make a video on it because I think it's really important in terms of earning money for all creators. But this and Dark Mode, uh, you know, I don't just, th I think they don't just push me over the threshold to make content about it because I don't think enough people are that interested in it. I'm just trying to figure out how is it valuable? And that's why I think you're right. I think it is a shorts play because when I think hashtags, I think of somebody looking for information on something from a lot of different people. They want to see something that people are covering that is trending. So if you go on Twitter and type in a hashtag and look at all the people using it, there's, you can get through those tweets. You can get through dozens of tweets a minute. You know, if you're just kind of reading through them, same with Instagram posts, they're just pictures. You're just kind of looking at them. Videos take time to watch. So I'm just imagining someone searching for a hashtag, seeing a whole page of videos come up and it kind of, it kind of begs the question, like, Who's this for? Because all these videos are are a minute plus, let's say, if it's not shorts. And, you know, you're going to watch one or two of those before yeah. maybe you feel like you've gotten your fill of that trending topic. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. I, we'll, we'll just kind of see what else they implement around hashtags, which might give us a little more clarity on where they're thinking this is useful. Yeah, let's keep an eye on it for now. This episode of Tube Talk is brought to you by the vidIQ mobile app. You can download it for free on the Android or iOS app stores. And it's here to help you do things like keep track of your competition, research your next video idea, optimize videos you've already posted, and more, all on the go. This is the perfect app to have literally in your back pocket while you're out and about and you find yourself with a few free extra minutes. Having the opportunity to sit down and optimize your latest video or research ideas for your upcoming video can be a game changer and save you a bunch of time as you work to create more YouTube content. Again, you can download the vidIQ mobile app for free on Android or iOS. Just search for vidIQ. So we have uh, quite the discussion we should probably get into now. 
regarding mistakes you might be making in your videos, ways you can increase your retention, all of these things help grow your channel as a whole, get you more views. And why don't we start with something I noticed uh, last week. So last week I released a video on the VidIQ channel. It was for, I, I, I went over gaming videos, but it really could apply to anybody's video. And I've noticed a lot of these mistakes. I wanted to talk about them here. One of them that came up over and over and over again were these ridiculously long intros that people are using in their content. And it it's just kind of, <laughs> it, it's kind of funny because you know that people have clicked off this video in the first couple of seconds because they don't feel like they're getting what they came for. So uh, tell me about maybe your experiences with seeing folks use crazy long intros. Maybe did you ever use crazy long intros on, on your videos back in the day? I think everybody, when they first start their YouTube journey, don't realize how important a, an intro is. And I think over time, I've really started to focus on this more and more. And you know, one of the, I think one of the telltale signs, the biggest telltale sign of somebody who's not really started to consider how important intros are is if the very first thing on there at the beginning of a video is a splash screen introducing their channel in some way. And, you know, if it's longer than five seconds, it's already too long. But even if it's at the beginning of a video, it's probably in the wrong place. It needs to be after some sort of introduction that plants the seed of the rest of the content, but also delivers something from the thumbnail and the title. And I know we're not necessarily going into the, the pre-planning stages right now, but if your video is something along the lines of uh, how do I get 1,000 subscribers in a week, then you better reinforce that result in the first 10 to 15 seconds before there is an introduction of your channel. Now, saying that, I think it can also vary from topic to topic. I, I still see lots of vloggers and personality channels who start with, hey guys, welcome to my channel. I'm XXX and I do this, this, this. But it's almost like a, a greeting to their regular viewers as well, which sometimes works. I mean, there's always going to be debates and discussions about just exactly how you do an intro. But I mean, going back to what you're saying, Dan, what is it specifically that you noticed? And I guess we should add a little bit of context to this. You put a post out on our community tab asking people to submit their videos and you got 700 responses, didn't you? Now, I'm not saying that you watched all of them, but you must have watched a fair few to come to this conclusion about intros. I watched, a, I, I did watch quite a few of them. And yeah, I had to make it a whole section of the video when I was right, done because yeah. it, it just, it was this recurring theme. And it reminded me of me, you know, 10 years ago when I started making gaming videos, I did the same thing because I was excited to have any viewers at all. And I wanted to address those viewers. I wanted to one, thank them for being there and, and for their support, commenting everything. And so I always felt like I'll get into the content in a second, but let's first get this out of the way. I got to thank everybody for being here. And that really took sometimes the first minute or two of a video, which was otherwise titled, uh, you know, around a totally different topic. It's not, hey, watch this video because I'm gonna, I'm gonna thank you for being here. It was watch this video because I do a thing in this game and you're gonna want to see it. And that was what was missing. And I, I kept seeing it, and it was kind of a shame because I think the people who make this, they, they genuinely love what they do. I related to it. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. 
they love making YouTube videos and they just want to get to get you to know them on a more personal level. And that's what these like long interests can achieve amongst, like you said, amongst your regular viewers. But as you learn and as you go on, you'll realize that everybody who finds your video, any video you make, could be somebody watching you for the very first time. And so all of that fluff at the beginning isn't relevant to them at all. They, they likely th found you through search or you were recommended alongside a topic they were interested in. And it makes it kind of feel like this video isn't for me. You know, either it's too insular, it's for this community of other people, or I might just be in the wrong place. I might have clicked on this thinking it was something else. Maybe I clicked on this video by accident, but I'm just going to go ahead and move on. And when someone does that, you don't get them back. YouTube doesn't bother recommending the content to you again uh, most of the time, and <laughs> you just don't get them back. So the the intro is so, so important. And another thing that I noticed is, and it's this rookie mistake I've noticed for years now, and you mentioned it, it's the splash screen with the name of the channel. And gaming channels are especially bad about this. They feel like they need to go onto Fiverr or one of these other websites and spend a little bit of money on a flashy intro with loud music and their name swinging around all over the screen. You know, I'm Bob127, you know, and five seconds is too long. I would argue one second of that is too long because I just don't think that's how you brand a video in 2021. I think all of that stuff should be like at the end. People make fancy end screens now and they only need to last about 20 seconds or so. And that's where your name is. That's where, you know, any art that was made for you that you maybe paid for belongs. It, this is my personal opinion. And I know it kind of factors in more to gameplay videos, just the things that I notice. But under what context do you think I'm wrong? What, what's the type of video where you're like, no, but you got to have it on this type of video. As, as you were saying this, I was both agreeing with you and realizing that I'm still guilty of this sometimes. <laughs> um, because certainly the last three to four months, I've been focusing really hard on my intros. And I've been trying to work out how to best transition from the intro to the meat of the content. And I've been trying loads of different things. And in some videos, I've, I've, I've done the intro but then in order to transition from that intro to introducing me, because I have some very epic music with drums beating at the beginning, I've been doing that a lot, but I need, and then I need to transition into some music that's going to last maybe a minute or two. And I, I find the only way I can do that is with something on screen. And so I've been putting the vidIQ intro on for like two seconds just to indicate a, a transition of the content. And then it quickly fares down and I come in. So like, I agree with you. Like, why do you need a splash screen? But I find I'm, I'm experimenting with that. Now, sometimes I've just done a, almost like a, a cold open. So like the, the epic intro and then everything goes away and then it's just me talking directly to camera without any intro. And I still haven't found a good medium between the two. And the other thing that I've been wrestling with is how much do I introduce myself in vidIQ? For about a year... Uh, my introduction at some point in the first minute would be, uh, hey, folks, welcome back to vidIQ. My name is Rob. If this is your first time here with a YouTube tool, channel and learning academy that educates you on your YouTube journey. Now, that's about a 10 second blurb. And I've decided to drop that. I think, Dan, you've been still doing it a little bit, you know, as we're, we're experimenting our own different ways. I think you certainly turned it down. Yeah, I mean. These are, and these are all tests. We're all trying different things. To try and tie a bow around this a little bit, 
what's driving me to experiment with the introduction is, as you say, once somebody abandons your content, the video, they're not coming back to that video. And you lose the majority of your audience in that first third of a video, certainly the first 30 seconds. And YouTube actually has a dedicated metric for that in the now dark fiend YouTube studio. I think it's analytics. And then is it engagement? And the top panel is viewer engagement after 30 seconds. And my personal crusade is to try and get that above 70%. So I want 70% of my audience still watching the content after 30 seconds. And what you may be asking a question right now, what you mean you lose more than a third of your audience in the first 30 seconds? And the answer is yes. And the answer is likely yes for lots of creators who haven't focused on intros. I mean, I think you look at creators like Mr. Beast, they're probably at about 80%. So there's very fine lines there. Um, but yeah, that's why I'm focusing on uh, introductions specifically to try and engage the audience to begin with because they're more likely to stay for longer as the video goes two, four, six, eight minutes. As we talk today, I, I think it's one of the one of the bits of advice I give everybody, intros, thumbnails, everything. And I always tell people, why don't you look at what's going on in your space? And what I mean is go look at the other creators who are dominating the space. The ones that are just, like you mentioned, Mr. Beast. If you are a gaming channel, watch some Mr. Beast gaming videos. I don't want anyone to compare themselves. I, it's easy to get wrapped up in that as a creator. You can start comparing yourself like to these other creators and going, well, wait a minute, I do my interest just like Mr. Beast. Why don't I have a million views on this video? And that's not, that. not only is that not how it works, it's not a good mindset to be in, but look at what they're doing because these are the trendsetters. These are the folks that are paving the way in terms of the way they edit their thumbnails. These guys are the ones making the rules, if you, if you think about it. And right now, one of the, for gaming channels, one of the intros I notice is really effective are the ones that are really, loud in the beginning where the creator is basically shouting you in this video we're going to do this thing and as they're shouting the text that of the words they're saying are captioned right in the middle of the screen you know boom 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 and and all of that is just kind of suck you in you're a new viewer to this channel or you've been here before and the intro is not too long you know exactly what you're getting into you know you're in the right place and it already shows like this this effort that was put into the editing because of all the different shots on the screen and the text flying around. And I'm noticing this trend bleed out of gaming too. I'm noticing other folks use this in other types of content. And so looking for these trends, regardless of whether you're focused on intros or titles or whatever, it's it's just kind of a good place to start, I think. I think certainly in my own video making journey this year, I have started to front load the content more where I have a set amount of time to make a video. When it comes to the last two or three minutes, it is more a little talking head, just talking to the camera. It's easy to edit. It doesn't take as long. But now that's giving me an extra hour or 90 minutes to literally focus on that first 30 seconds. And I still feel as if I'm miles away from getting it right. I mean, Dan, you were talking about looking at other creators in your space. One of the people I'm focusing, following very closely at the moment, we've had him on the podcast, is Ed um, Lawrence from Film Booth. He was a creator who has been making content for years and struggling until he had a complete mindset shift and changed the way his content is made. And now he's doing phenomenal work and his intros and his general storytelling, I think, are absolutely incredible. I don't know about you, Dan, but is there ever any time, ever times when you're watching other creators on YouTube and it just makes you think, why do I bother when there is a creator <laughs> as talented as this? I know, you know, we shouldn't compare ourselves sometimes, but 
I hopefully I'm taking the right attitude of, wow, this creator is astonishing. I want to learn what he's doing and implement some of those strategies into my content, but not necessarily do exactly the same things as him, because I still want to be the creator who is first to market with stories about YouTube monetization. You know, that's not what Ed's doing, but I feel as if I can take some of his storytelling skills into the content I'm making going forward. Yeah, I, I've absolutely seen a number of creators doing things that make me go, oh gosh, you know, the, the bar has been raised here yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I need to keep up. And what, what that ends up having me do is to skill up. If, if I see something that looks really fancy that I'm like, ooh, that looks, that looks really good and they're doing this all the time. I know that's taken them some time to master, but by now, it, whatever that technique is, that editing technique or that animation, it's probably second nature to them. And so I, you know, go to the school of YouTube and just start looking for different tutorials on how to skill up and whatever it is I feel like I'm, I'm lacking. And, you know, a lot of that is like we're already talking about testing, testing new ideas, testing different ways to keep people in the first 30 seconds of a video. And yeah, it, a lot of it just come down to that, like, positive self-evaluation of like, hey, that looks really good instead of being bummed about it. Like, Oh no, I'm not, I don't, <laughs> I don't amount to anything. Uh, it's, it's more important to, to seek opportunities to, to learn. And you know what the ironic thing about all of this is done is that we've just spent 50 minutes talking about intros, <laughs> telling people to make them as short and as concise and as catchy as possible. Well, we tried it in, in five seconds and doesn't seem to resonate. So we have to break it down for everybody. <laughs> so imagine if, if we were going to redo this part of a podcast in, in the um, fashion of a gaming channel, it would be, make your intros short and fast. And then we just go straight into the main content. Something like that. Yeah. All right. Cool. In this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so the next, the next thing I noticed happening uh, quite a bit were uh, tutorial videos that were entirely too long. And I'm picking on tutorials specifically because usually when somebody goes out and searches for a, a, an answer to something, the situation usually calls for a quick answer. The example I like to bring up is I was doing a family game night once, and I had gotten this new board game, and the instructions were meaty, as, as they are with board games. It's, like, it's so much easier to just watch somebody play a round of it, and then you get it. So I searched for the board game, and I think I might have put like tutorial or how to play or whatever. And two of the top results popped up. And the first result was, I think, double the length of the second one. I think we were talking about a difference between 20 minutes and 10 minutes, give or take. Which one do you think I clicked on? I got my family sitting around the table where, you know, wanting to learn about this board game because we want to play the game now. <laughs> so I'm going to click on the shortest one. And usually if the content's good, you'll notice pretty quickly if they're going to cover this game enough to get you started. And so it did. We were able to play in a short amount of time. And that's the kind of thing I kept noticing is, is folks making their tutorial videos that they, something they could have explained in a much shorter time frame, 10 minutes long. You know, and it really depends on what what we're talking about. Obviously, for more complex things, you you just can't get around it. But if uh, another example, one of our colleagues uses all the time is if your toilet is overflowing, and you need to know what to do, you're you're not gonna <laughs> watch a ten minute video on how to unclog a toilet. <laughs> I just have these visions now of somebody with a plunger in one hand, and the YouTube video on their mobile phone in another, and they're just looking at the, the toilet and looking at the video saying, "Come on." 
Just tell me what I need to do. Come on. Ah, it's all over the floor. <laughs> oh, disaster. Welcome back to my channel. In the last video. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I don't care what your value proposition is. This video is as smelly and dirty as what's happening right now on my floor. <laughs> we learned how to unclog a sink. But uh, the dog got in the way. And remember that, folks? The dog and the yeah. content. You're, yeah, mess everywhere. So anyway, there's urgency when people are searching for things sometimes. Urgency, and, yeah. yeah. And I, I just wanted to bring this up because it was something that happened over and over and over again. And I think once in the comments of the actual video I made, I think someone even said, well, I like to make my videos at least eight minutes long so I can get mid-rolls on them. Yep. I'm like, ah. Uh, <laughs> So no matter what, they like to have all their videos at least eight minutes long, which some things just don't call for that. Right. Let's talk about this uh, a little bit in detail. And I think the general uh, consensus, that if you're searching for something, you want the quickest, most efficient answer is entirely true. So when you do a search for something, if the top search results all say, uh, let's say that an average of five minutes, then one of the marketing strategies, one of the pitch tactics you can do is say right well i'm going to do this tutorial in three minutes the question is do you really sell that fact in your title and thumbnail like let's say it's how to unblock a toilet and most videos are three minutes long you do it in 90 seconds like do you say how to unblock your toilet in 90 seconds in the title and then you know put a huge clock in the thumbnail i'm just asking that not necessarily is for you to answer down you know it's like if you're going to really sell the fact that you're going to answer something as quickly as possible, then do that in the, in the, the thumbnail and the title. And then uh, in the in the video itself, the intro, what do you do? Do you show the, the, the end result uh, at the beginning of a video? Do you just like jump straight into it? The, like the very first thing somebody hears is tip number one, you need to buy a plunger from the Home Depot. Tip number two, you need to call a plumber. Like, do you literally be as matter of fact as that and try and do it as quickly as possible? Then there's the other side of this in terms of credibility. The example I use is how to build a gaming PC. And when you do a search for that, typical videos are like 12 minutes, 25 minutes, 16 minutes. And that, I believe, adds weight to the content because if you're searching for that topic... It might be, you know, how to start a business or how to start a YouTube channel. If you see a video that's maybe two or three minutes long, you might be in the mindset of, oh, I need more I need more than just a quick guide here. I need, really need to get into the nuts and bolts of exactly what I need to do at each step. So do you go the other way? Do you, like, say the ultimate guide? So if somebody's saying, you know, how to build a gaming PC in, and it's 50 minutes long, do you say... Right, well, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into much more detail. I'm going to show the creator from A to Z exactly how you do this so they don't need to reference another video from another creator. And it's all self-contained in here, but I'm going to need a 45-minute commitment from the creator. So I guess I'm just adding different approaches to how you might want to do how-to content. In that, Generally speaking, yes, short, snappy, concise, is what a viewer wants, but are there alternatives which you could maybe do as a creator as long as you tell and communicate to that viewer exactly how your video is going to d differ from 
everything else. Because, uh, you know, another angle of this is what's your unique selling point? What's your unique approach to content? Why should I pick you instead of another creator? It's because I do it this way rather than the 99 other channels who've done it all exactly the same way. Yeah, precisely. It, it's probably the number one phrase we've had to use in anything we do, podcast, YouTube video. It depends. And it does. It really depends on on the type of content you make and what the question is you're trying to answer because there is something to be said for credibility. When, when like you said, the gaming PC is a great example. You can't build a gaming PC in two minutes. You could probably edit a build down to two minutes, but you're just going to have that creator, not creator, the PC builder is trying to watch you pause the video every couple of seconds. What was that? Okay, what, what was that part? And they want to make sure they're doing it right. So no explanation. I just imagine a speed build of a PC, which is not really helpful to anybody. <laughs> I guess what, what you could say is, uh, Av, let's say you were going to do a completely comprehensive video about building a PC and, it, and you think you could do it in 60 minutes. Well, then there's still a question of, ah, actually though, if you were, if you were really good at editing this video, and being really concise, you may actually still be able to tell its 60 minute story of building a PC in 35 minutes. So that when the viewer is watching, they're just getting so much value and information and there's no fluff that you know, it's, it's perfectly delivered. So there's, there's definitely a lot to be said for the length of your video, depending on what your content is. But I would always say, make your video no longer than it needs to be. Even if it, I'm not even talking tutorials anymore just in general, if you're about to make a video and you can tell like a funny story in 30 seconds, this is a great time to be telling funny stories in 30 seconds. I know from experience, we have YouTube shorts now, but even if you're not doing it in the short vertical format, you can tell a story in 30 seconds or less and still have a channel that gets a lot of views, that reaches monetization, that you know does everything you want it to. So I think I'm only mentioning this because I feel like there's a myth a while back where your videos had to be a certain length, you know, otherwise they weren't respected in the algorithm. And I'm here to tell you today that's just not true. It's certainly not true with uh, the work you've been doing uh, on your channel, Dan, and also how YouTube Shorts plus these weird and wonderful creators have been making these videos that say things along the lines of, I will heart every comment in this video. <laughs> and it's, um, you know, a, a robot voice and just text on screen. And it's a landscape video and it's 20 seconds long. There's these weird channels that are doing phenomenal things uh, with that type of stuff. Well, phenomenal things. Is phenomenal the right word? They're just doing crazy wacky stuff, which seems to work <laughs> on YouTube these days. Uh, I'm I'm baffled by them. I would also add as well that you said uh, make the video as long as it needs to be. What if you make the video not as long as it could be and leave the viewer wanting more? Again, going back to Ed, he spoke to uh, Hillier Smith, who edits some of the largest channels on YouTube, such as uh, Logan Paul. And he was saying that the way they edit their videos, which are now like five minutes or less, they do it to to the extent where the viewer really enjoyed the content, but it's left them wanting more. And so it turns into a binge watch session that they're watching maybe three or four Logan Paul um, vlogs. Uh, I find that a really interesting concept. And that's something that I really want to try and, and, and have a play with, with some of our educational content. But the key with that is that you need to make sure that other content on your channel is related in some way so that they can watch something, enjoy it, and then move on to the next thing, which kind of has some connections and links 
to previous content. And I'm not sure how I'm going to do that with educational content where it's usually quite defined that you want an answer to this thing today and then you might want an answer to something else, you know, in a week or two. Whereas with story, storytelling and entertainment, I feel as if it's more leeway to leave the viewer wanting more, but then they can they can be satisfied with it immediately with other content on the channel. I mean, Dan, I guess you, you've been doing this a little bit, you know, uh, in terms of you have this entertainment... I would call it an entertainment gaming channel where you're doing sort of intriguing, weird and wonderful things. It's certainly not a, an educational channel. And, um, you know, the, the videos are two minutes or less. And I think you're getting a lot of viewers going from one video to the next, unless I'm wrong there. That's definitely what the, the data seems to be pointing to. I, yeah. I will admit, I don't edit the videos with the intent on trying to get people left wanting more. I'm I'm always just trying to get a, a decent enough punchline at the end of the video because they're all I kind of I look at them as if they're comedy videos. I don't it's subjective, but that's my goal. And I assume if I make them laugh or smile, that is enough to make them hopefully one more. Yeah, let me maybe try and clarify that. Maybe not the video the video itself is doesn't leave the viewer wanting more. It's the the creator's content. I'm left wanting more from that creator right now yeah and that's yes with any i would say with any entertainment channel that's kind of the goal you you want to it's kind of why it's so important to continually work on the quality of your videos because over time if somebody watches your content and they enjoy it you want to make sure the video before it is also of high quality so if they are recommended the previous video they they end up going down this funnel and i feel like the the style of content that i'm making and i've seen a lot of creators do this where it just feels like it was made by the same person almost on the same day you know there's not they like i i kind of implement my improvements over like i'll do a bunch of videos and then i'll be like i oh, mean it's kind of time to change something up you know and then i'll make like a, a change that might be noticeable but it, i don't know i'm just i'm i'm over i'm over explaining this but uh Hopefully you kind of know what I mean. <laughs> that's, we, that's what we often do as creators. We overdo everything. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it's important, though, to make your videos, moral of the story, as long as you feel they need to be. Don't worry about being punished by the algorithm or, or anything like that. And uh, speaking of making videos as long as they need to be, another thing I was seeing was editing. Just just a lack of editing with a lot of creators' content. They They just kind of sat down and recorded them playing Minecraft for 20 minutes, 30, 40 minutes. And uploaded the file as is <laughs> editing takes a long time though let me let's start this conversation with this question dan do you enjoy the editing process to a degree it's kind of interesting i don't enjoy the very beginning of the editing process where i'm trying to find out of everything i shot the best clips the, the best parts of it once i get the story laid out i actually do enjoy sprucing it up I, I kind of I had this analogy in my head. Uh, I compared it to like a Christmas tree, right? So a non-edited video. Think of a non-edited video as a Christmas tree with no lights or anything on it. You know, so it's just kind of like, okay, cool, nice Christmas tree, bro. And a video that you've spent a little bit of time on, the tree might have some lights on it, so it's interesting to look at. But at the same time, you can still kind of get it anywhere. You know what I mean? Like anyone mm -hmm. could get a pre-lit Christmas tree, and you know, you admire it for a minute and you move on with your day. A video that has been heavily edited is one that's where the ornaments are on the tree. And that what's, that's what makes it unique. Everybody has their own unique Christmas ornaments uh, that they've, if you have a Christmas tree, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying everyone has a Christmas tree at Christmas time, but 
if you have ornaments on your tree, it's because there's like family traditions. Maybe uh, some of them are handmade. That's where like the editing kind of comes in. And that's what puts your personal touch on a video. So I would mm. say that if your video is a Christmas tree, you want to spruce it up as much as possible. And that's the part I enjoy putting the quote ornaments on, on the tree. Mm, in real life, I don't actually enjoy putting ornaments on a Christmas tree. Just yeah, yeah. I see where you're coming from. I see where you're coming from. Uh, and we are recording this in the middle of August. Happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> I enjoy the editing process. Uh, I hate the filming process. So it's in, it's satisfying for me to take the the footage, which I had to struggle through, and then put it together into something that I think uh, has a somewhat of a story to it or a through line. I think I get bored and frustrated when I say to myself, oh, yeah, I need to do this. I need to add some graphics and I need to do this in the editing process. And I've done it before. And I know it's going to take 45 minutes to edit this 10 second bit. That's what, you know, and, and, I've, and I've done it before, but there's no way to make it really efficient. It's an animation and I have to get it to go here, there and everywhere. And I know that's going to take ages, but I feel as if it's necessary. So knowing that, knowing what your end point is, but then knowing what you have to go through to get there, that really frustrates me sometimes with editing. But when you've got to the end of it and you watch the video through and you think, oh, yeah, actually, you know, I went through the editing process there and I feel as if I've turned something into a valuable piece of content that hopefully by the end of it, a viewer is going to have gone from point A to point B. And that's as a result of the story or the through line I've, I've told here. Um, but I guess I asked that question because... Some people really enjoy recording, but they don't necessarily enjoy the editing process. I guess which is more important, the footage you have or how you put it together? Absolutely. It's, it's, there's no real good answer to that. It just depends on what, you've, what you're talking about, what you've recorded. I think that what's nice about editing is that you can, if you'd forgotten to say something in, in the video and you feel like it's crucial, you can always add some B-roll and then quickly you know, open up your mic and just say the part in the video. I've done that with a number of vidIQ videos now where I forgot a very important point or a disclaimer or something. And so I'll try and smoothly B-roll over it as if I was still sitting in front of the camera talking and I just happened to slap an image over that part of the video and say what I needed to say. I, I've seen a lot of creators, sometimes they say, hey, it's me from the future and I had forgotten to include this, but you need to know that if you if you go to Disney World, you're going to need this special uh, bracelet today, whatever. So there's there's a lot of uh ways you can kind of get around that and that's what's so nice about editing is you can you can literally fix anything in post and uh, you don't necessarily have to get all your lights and drag out your camera again and and all that fun stuff but i actually have three tips for editing just at very various parts of the process yeah so my first tip is when you sit down and you record your whole video your whole speech i i think the best time to cut out all the parts all the mess ups right is right after you finish. So sit down and cut out all those chunks because they're fresh in your head. Really easy to remember all the spots you messed up in. The next thing to do is making that video only as long as it needs to be. So my tip for that is to don't do anything else that day. <laughs> you've, you've cut out all the fluff. This stuff is all fresh in your mind. I personally, this works for me, I like to walk away from it and do something else and come, come back to it the next day because once I have a, I've had a day to sit on that video and and kind of process everything it's a lot easier for me to watch it from front to back and ruthlessly cut out any parts that just aren't needed and then the final bit is if you're struggling with the animations and all the trimmings and things like that that's that's a matter of 
taking some time when you don't have a project to do and learning more about your video editing software. Yeah, good point, though. Good point. I wasn't trying to attack you. That's something no, no, I, I'm constantly like, doing myself. Don't edit under pressure, I think, basically. Yes. When you realize you've got to do something new or different, that's the worst time uh, to be trying something new and different when you're not necessarily when you've got a video deadline, but when you're right in the middle of something because it takes you completely out of the, out of the, the, the momentum, the creative space of that moment in time. Yeah, I think when we tell people that they need to do a lot of work on their channels, we're not necessarily saying, oh, you need to make a lot more videos or, oh, you, you really, you know, you should have put a custom thumbnail on that. We're, we're saying, like, do do whatever work needs to be done, even if it doesn't mean you're going to make a video that day. It might be something like skilling up, educating yourself on something, on a concept. Yeah, and I'm so guilty for not doing that because <laughs> I, I, I always want to be creating. I always want to be doing rather than I always want to do with some final output, you know, like views or watch time or whatever, rather than, Rob, today it's Monday. Why don't you just spend the afternoon uh, gathering lots of B-roll instead of looking at trying to find the perfect B-roll for half an hour when you're in the middle of a video, because that can be really, really <laughs> frustrating. And uh, I'll give you the example, Dan, and we were talking about this on Friday, starting blocks. Um, I've been making a video where I mentioned starting blocks and somebody said, you've got some B-roll here of somebody on a... Um, I don't know what it's called, board. swimming. Yeah, on, it's, it's like on a diving board. And yeah. it's because I couldn't find appropriate uh, B-roll for somebody stood in starting blocks. So I had to just replace it with something else and move on. And now that's in my head. I'm thinking I need to fix that today. But I've got a bit more time today. I did want to add a couple more, I guess, small editing tips. Um, try to learn what J-cuts, jump-cuts, L-cuts, any sort of cut in editing is. That's where you're taking out a pause or an um and an ah or anything which isn't relevant. Delete that from the video and so that you merge those two clips together. But also think about whether you can have a little bit of an overlap of these two clips whereby almost when you're saying the last syllable of something in a video, you're starting with the next bit of video in the first syllable. That sounds really complicated it's, but it's where you have like two videos <laughs> sorry i'm now trying to illustrate when this is a podcast <laughs> it's where you've got two clips on the same track well you move one of those clips up to the next track and then just bring it in like half a third of a second because it creates that kind of nice jump overlap so that would be one uh, thing i would experiment with and the second thing that i was going to mention which has completely escaped my mind and i'm <laughs> trying to remember what it is by rambling is <laughs> if your clip if no, if there is nothing happening in your clip for 15 seconds so you're just talking to camera and nothing happens think about what you could add to that clip so that something happens whether it's a sound effect whether it's an a graphic appearing on screen, whether you zoom into your face a little bit because you're saying something important or zoom out or there's a little pan effect going on. We talk about pattern interrupts. We've mentioned that before. You want to almost reset the viewer's attention as often as possible. And some people, again, are awesome doing this. They add B-roll and jump cuts and all sorts of things, like two or three things going on every five seconds. But I think to start with, just think about maybe if something's not new or interesting is happening every 15 seconds. Just think about what you can maybe add to that to, to refresh the viewer's attention spam. Pattern interrupts. 
Patent interrupts. Yeah, you can Google that, and I'm sure something useful will come up. It's funny. I actually have a couple of friends who coincidentally decided to start new channels after both having taken a break from YouTube for a long time. And I've been just kind of giving them some some tips here and there, talking with them. And uh, I gave them both the the same tip because you, you mentioned something a minute ago that, that kind of got me thinking about this. If you're going to start making a bunch of videos or something, you should take a day to prepare things. Like, Rob, you just mentioned maybe take some time to just go get some B-roll, you know, that you're, you don't have a particular video in mind, but stuff that you always reference, you can have some B-roll on hand and that way that'll speed up your editing process. I've told them, you know, go into, you know, the game you're playing, if it's a game or what other creators do when they're in front of the camera is take a day to just shoot a whole bunch of pictures. Because if you're going to put like yourself in the thumbnail or your game character or whatever, take a whole bunch of screenshots, cut out the characters and just hold on to the, that PSD, that Photoshop file. And you've got a percentage, a large percentage of your, of your thumbnail for your next video done already. Uh, for, for gaming thumbnails, it could be really easy because a lot of games, the characters are very, have a lot of emotes that you can use. So take different pictures of the characters and different clothing, making funny faces, and then go around and just take some scenery shots in the game. And those are your backgrounds. So now you have like two thirds of your thumbnail done for a number of videos in the future. And this, again, for B-roll, for any channel, you could benefit from this. Think about the stuff you can batch out to make, again, if you're ever editing under pressure, to make that easier. Any channel that covers breaking news of any kind probably knows what it's like to edit something under pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the gaming space, again, I've noticed people uh, try to cover an update, like a game has a, a big update, and they want to be the first ones to tell everybody about it because all, already they're learning about it from a public news source. Now they want to tell their audience about it before anyone else can. And I've noticed them getting these videos out, like uh, in my own space, my competition gets these videos out so quickly. And when I actually watch the video and study them, I realize the stuff happening on the screen isn't super relevant to what they're saying, which means what they've mm-hmm. done is just recorded themselves playing the game one day and kept yeah. the footage. Just yeah. They just held on to it. And if they're referencing something, they try to edit whatever they were saying in their voiceover with what's happening, but they don't really care. It's, it, you know, I'm the first one to say this information and get it on YouTube. That's all I care about. And the videos do great and they dominate. So there's a lot that could be said for preparing, you know, on a day where you actually have some free time to kind of mess around. Like if you, your starting block thing, what you could do when you have some free time is go outside and put your camera down on the ground and actually do the motion you were trying to get some stock footage oh, for. It would look terrible <laughs> if I did it that time. <laughs> Not if you zoom in enough, like on your shoes or something. It wouldn't. It, no one would really know it's you. Maybe. Maybe you should try it. Gotta, it means I've got to go outside. And, um, fair who enough. Does that, who does that as a creator? Yes, uh, true. I also want to add as well, um, when you're watching other creators and you see something cool, think about how you may potentially implement something similar in your content as a template. The example I give is one of our partners, Ben Johnson. The way he um, introduced, you know, when you talk it, you're in a video and you want to maybe reference another video that you're talking about. I think he was talking about a one stand studio and he was talking about specific light. And he said, if as he was talking about the light, this graphic appeared on screen. He, he kind of, he blurred out and then like a, a big thumbnail came up of the other video he was suggesting. And I thought that was a really cool way of referencing other videos. And so I kind of built my own template and it took about an hour. And now that's in my, my template project. So I know that if ever I want to reference a video, I can bring that graphic up. And I'm always looking for 
cool little things other creators are doing and how I can create my own ex- example of that. So thanks, Ben, uh, if you're listening uh, for that little example. So the the last thing that I noticed quite a bit, and there were a lot of things, but I'm just gonna I'm just going over the big ones here. And uh, one of the things I noticed that came up quite often, this will be a quick one, was people using copywritten music and and things that you question: Are they allowed to be using that right now? Mostly music. And this is just more of a PSA than anything else. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's not good for your YouTube channel. And uh, there's also less excuses than ever. I am a big advocate for the YouTube audio library. They update it frequently with uh, fantastic music for just about anything. And I, I got to say, I'm surprised at how many people think it's okay to use in their intros or whatever it is that a popular, a, a bit from a popular song, you know, that they, that they heard that they really liked. And I, I mean, maybe I don't think so, but maybe they're trying to argue fair use. Uh, mostly I just think they're, they don't mind, but if you ever do get monetized, that's going to become an issue. Yep. Thank you for that. Thanks for the, all right. I'll add, I'll add some more. I'll add some more. Uh, I, I think the reason why more and more people are just using copyright content in a blase fashion is because of the advent of platforms like TikTok, where yes, using copyrighted content is, I guess, more accepted and, TikTok doesn't rely so much on the concept of AdSense revenue in in their video landscape. And I will also add, Dan, that although people shouldn't use copyright content in the sense of they download an MP3 from another place and then just stick it on their video and upload it, if you are going to use copyrighted content, then use it when YouTube offers that tool to you. And what I mean by that is... Now on YouTube Shorts, you can add music through their tool and you can select popular music. And if you do it through that avenue, then as far as I'm concerned, YouTube will not hit you with a copyright claim because they have an agreement with that music label for you to do that. And then hopefully going forward, you should be able to monetize that content. Now that's only relevant to YouTube Shorts right now. I don't know if popular music will ever become available in the audio library. Um, So as Dan says, use the YouTube audio library itself. And I guess there is that other counter argument as to, yeah, but I'm a reaction video, reaction channel, and so I'm reacting to content that is obviously copyrighted. This is where it gets into a very grey area. And as Dan said, it's, it's fair use. We have spoken about this, I would say at this point, ad nauseum with Emily D. Baker, on both our live streams. We've had her on the podcast as well at some point, haven't we? I think yes. it was a, before we were doing live streams. So do um, reference our original material on fair use and that, that discussion. But yeah, I, I think people are just naive. They're uneducated when they're just using copyright content here, there and everywhere. And, and soon enough, they'll learn that they can't do that. It's just the danger is, in, in the process of learning copyright, are you going to get a claim or are you going to get a strike? And strikes are obviously the things that you want to steer well clear of, of as much as possible. So those are some of the common mistakes I've been noticing in, in content itself. I didn't even get to touch on thumbnails and video pitch. Uh, but that's okay. We talk about that stuff I, all the time. Let's, <laughs> let's, leave that for, let's leave that for another conversation because I think there's so much we can talk about in terms of 
uh, how to get somebody to watch your content without them actually watching the video. <laughs> In other words, you know, how, how, how to win the click. I think that's a, a future podcast in itself. I do too. Rob, thank you so much for hanging out today. Well, here's a question. How many I really got to remember that moments were there in this podcast? Do let us know with an email or a tweet. We'd love to know. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. Ciao. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk brought to you by vidIQ. Head over to vidIQ.com slash Tube Talk for today's show notes and previous episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.